Christians. Number four, this text is exploding with the typology pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ all over the place. Remember, your Bible is a Christocentric book. The Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, there's a clear reminder here that, as I said, Jesus is the main character of Scripture. When you search the Scriptures, the question is, where's Christ in this passage? Sometimes it's very tricky. Sometimes, such as this chapter, piece of cake to see him. And number seven, or I'm sorry, number six, there's no reason to rush through this text. There's so much gold in it. And number seven, finally, I want to. So, with that being said, we're going to jump into this passage. I'm just going to cover three verses today. And my wife is making fun of me because she said it's going to be a long sermon, because typically the sermons are a little longer when the texts are shorter. I don't know why it just works that way. Here's what I want you to think about with me first. Think about all of the history Abraham has with God to this point. Day in, day out, this man growing. So we go all the way back to chapter 12, so many years ago, where God comes to Abraham and calls him to himself. Now, I'm just going to call out the chapters where these events are at. I'm not going to read them or spend that much time there because I'm going to get to these three verses. But I just want us to consider this concept of the depth of relationship Abraham has with God. God comes to him and calls him to leave his family, leave his land, leave his place, and follow the Lord. Follow me to a place I will show you. I'm not telling you where it is. I'm just saying, follow me to a place that I will show you. Abraham separates himself and follows him and goes with him. Later, we hear that Abraham and Lot, his nephew, eventually separate because you have the the bickering between their two groups of shepherds about you need to be over here, you need to be over there. And so Abraham, in trusting God, says, okay, Lot, you take what you want, I'll take what's left, and we'll both serve the Lord and move forward. We see Abraham go and rescue Lot. Remember when he got his men together and they went and they rescued Lot and saved him from all of those kings that had gathered together. We see Abraham and the king of Salem, Melchizedek, as he offered the food, I gave this offering to the king of Salem, the king of peace. And the king of Sodom offers this great wealth to Abraham, and he rejects it. I don't want that by you. I want it by the Lord. Thank you very much. We see our Lord's covenant with Abraham. Think about this, beloved. The sovereign of the universe comes to this one man and says, I want to be in covenant with you. And it's a covenant based on God, not based on God and Abraham, because Abraham didn't pass through those animals that were cut up. Only God did, which is a way of God communicating that this is on me. This is a never-breaking covenant. And we see the mistake that he makes with Hagar. As his wife says, obviously I'm barren. Obviously I'm getting too old. If you're going to have a son, as God's promised you're going to have a son, I need you to take my servant Hagar, I need you to make her your wife, and I want you to have a son through her. And Abraham, in a massive mistake, says, okay. Goes through with it, has Ishmael, and great difficulty is going to follow through. 
Then we see the covenant of circumcision as God comes and says, this is going to be a sign of the covenant that I make with you today. And then after all of this, with all of the the times where Abraham fell on his face and laughed before God, Sarah laughed before God, there's no way this could ever happen. Every bit of circumstantial evidence points to the opposite. There's no way Sarah and Abraham are ever having a child. And then Isaac is born in chapter 17. To the amazement of his parents and to anybody watching, God is a miracle-working God. And then we see the broken heart of Abraham as he intercedes for all of the righteous in Sodom, pleading with God, please, for their sake, if there's this many, if there's this many, if there's this many, what kind of, what kind of depth of relationship is needed in a, in a person to go to the Lord and say, please, I know you are the sovereign God and I'm the, the weak, lost little person that you've rescued, but Lord, stop, please don't destroy this place. You're going against your own principles to do this. I mean, the, the level of argumentation that Abraham brings to the father in reference to his intercession for Sodom is breathtaking. And then he sees the destruction of it. Then we see him lie to Abimelech once again, as he did to Pharaoh, that Sarah is my sister. Didn't turn out well either time. Isaac's miraculous birth, the casting out of Hagar and Ishmael, and the difficulty and the pain, but then God himself saying, no, Abraham, you listen to your wife on this one, and you send out that woman, and you send out that child. And then the making of a treaty with Abimelech in chapter 21. Throughout all of this, this whole time, Abraham has been stretched and continually growing in his faith. It's a huge mistake to say that Abraham was a man who never fell. Uh, We know that that's not true. We know that this is a redeemed man, not, not a perfect man, a fallen, redeemed man. A man who has been maturing and growing in his faith day in, day out as he walks with the Lord. Beloved, just like you, unless we had some perfect people visit this morning, just like us, you're growing in your faith, you're trusting God more, the more you're in the Word, the more you're in Bible study, the more you're around believers, the more you go, man, you know, it's happened like a frog in boiling water, but I know God better than I've ever known Him. I know the Lord, not just about Him, I know Him. Abraham has had this over and over and over again. I know his character. I know he's trustworthy. I know he's righteous. I know he's holy. I know he's in charge of everything. I know that I can go to him with any prayer that's on my heart. And you see this consistently in the life of Abraham, that he consistently worships the Lord, calling upon the Lord, offering sacrifices before the Lord. I don't know about you, but the longer I'm a Christian, the more I... I love seeing faithful, long-standing faithful saints. When you see a brand new believer, it is fresh and powerful because you see the act of God in regeneration. But I got to tell you guys, it, it brings 
fresh courage to me to be around you, to see you get bad news. I've stood beside some of you when you've got bad news, when you've been through trials, when you've been through pain, and I watched you faithfully say, man, this hurts, but, but the Lord's in it. You have, you have strengthened your pastor by your faithfulness. And I give glory to God for that, not you. Obviously, it is the Lord's doing. But still, it gives me such encouragement in my walk to watch your walk. Well, it's the same with Abraham. This man's growing. His closeness with the Lord is, is phenomenal. And now the greatest trial of his life hits him right upside the head. See, it's interesting. If you look at 21, look at verse 33. It says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Again, the names of God revealing the character of God. So Abraham is making known here. I, I know what he's like. He is the everlasting one, never changing. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. We don't know exactly how much time he was there, but we know that for that time, he plants a tree, possibly plants a whole, a whole orchard. He calls on the name of the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord, walking with the Lord in the land of the Philistines. Verse 22, after these things, God tested Abraham. So the treaty with Abimelech, the planting of the tree, the living in the land of the Philistines, watching Isaac grow up, growing in grace by faith, God tested Abraham. Beloved, don't ever think that there's an easy street where, okay, I'm in neutral now. No, that doesn't exist. And the Lord will make sure that doesn't exist. He loves us too much to let us be in neutral. And so God comes and tests him. This is, test is a way better word than tempted. Maybe if you have a King James or something that says tempted. That's not what this word is. It's not God seeking to get him to do evil. A better, another translation would be to prove him. There's an examination, a proving, a testing of Abraham in what's happening here. The difference is in the intent of the individual doing the work. God is not here seeking to tempt as Satan does to try to get you to fall. God is here testing and proving for the purpose of growth, maturity, so on and so forth. And so this test shows the genuineness of the faith of Abraham. And I just ask you to, if you're keeping notes, James chapter 2 in reference to, the, uh, in reference to Abraham and Abraham's justification by faith that works. Please notice and catch that. I'm not saying works. You know that. I'm not saying justified by works. He's justified by faith, not fake faith, true faith, that when you have true faith, faith does stuff. It works. It walks in obedience. All of you who are seated right now, you are showing me you have faith in the manufacturer of that chair. Okay, I trust the sturdiness of this chair. Well, how do I know you trust it? I'm sitting in it. And so God is testing the genuineness, proving, examining, maturing the genuineness of this man's faith. Please notice, God seeks out Abraham on this one. 
I find this so fascinating that at times we think that we live in a no man's land in reference to God and something comes through. It, it pains me at times when I hear theologians or preachers say, oh, God has nothing to do with this. <laughs> what? There's stuff that happens that God has nothing to do with? False doctrine. I'll call it outright. That's false doctrine. Our God is a God of precision. Our God is the all-knowing God. He is sovereign over all things. There's not a place where we go, well, God's not in this one. No, he's in all of it, accomplishing his good purpose. And in this text, it doesn't say somehow Abraham stumbled onto this. No, God himself comes and lays this trial in front of him on purpose with God's intent for good for Abraham. calls him by name. These are friends. And I, I've been impressed by this reality from the text is that there's, a, there's a, a familiarity, a friendship between the Lord and Abraham. Notice when God comes and says, Abraham, Abraham doesn't go, who? What? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, it's you, God. No, there's an intimacy that he has with him as well as God with Abraham. Nobody knows Abraham better than God. God knows Abraham and vice versa. Perhaps this was an audible calling. That's my best guess, is that he literally heard God call him. If it was some other means, I'm okay with that too. I don't know the answer. Beloved, there's a point that I need to make this morning from this text that might sting a little bit, but it would be dishonest and disingenuous if I didn't bring this up. There's a possibility the greatest test and strain on your life as a Christian hasn't happened yet. Our greatest test in our faith can come at any time in our life. We have no promise of the quote-unquote golden years. I realize our culture tells us, work so hard so that way the last 25, 30 years of your life you can live it up and find yourself comfortable. But what I see in Scripture is that in the later years, getting closer and closer to the death of this man, God goes, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever faced. Over a hundred years old, he had to wait to come to this test. There's no promise that this life, as long as there's breath in your lungs and your heart beats, beloved, you may have the strongest, most potent struggle come right into your life. I can't tell you how many, how many times on a, on a call out with the sheriff's office, I've been there with a husband and wife, and they say these words, we just retired. There's no promise of that. The greatest stress and the greatest heartache could be coming in your latest years. There is no neutral in this life. Christian, there's no neutral in this life. We must seek his face till our last breath. Abraham's test comes when he's triple digits. 
It's over a hundred years old, and God comes and does this. It'd be awesome if we knew that as soon as we hit this particular age or age group, we can relax. As D.A. Carson said years ago, all one has to do is live long enough and they will suffer. And so what is, what's the punch in that, Dan? What are you getting at? There is never a time where you can say, I've made it. There's never a time where you can say, the worst is behind me. There's never a time you can say, now it's going to be comfortable from here on out. No, in all reality, none of us have a clue what the Lord may bring into our lives, when he may bring it into our lives, to grow and mature us as believers. And let me just throw this out here. And this is more logical than biblical, so take it for what it is. If you've been growing in your faith, strengthening in your faith, and you are a mature Christian individual, why would we be surprised that he would bring some heavy hitters into your life in those years? to grow you even further. I don't think Abraham could have handled this back in chapter 12. But the the height and the level of his intimacy with the Lord up to this point, God's been preparing him for this. I've heard Christians, I have seen believers in horrific trials in their lives And it's amazing how I don't say a word, they actually trace back how God prepared them for that. And so God comes to Abraham. And please notice the specificity. That's a word I try to pronounce in the mirror daily. He says, here am I. Here I am. And the living sovereign king of the universe says this to Abraham. Take your son, your only son. You mean Ishmael? No. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. each, Each description Uh, It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's like a fresh dagger into his heart. Look at the text, guys. Take your son. And I wondered if he went to Ishmael immediately, because he knows, no, no, this isn't going to be about Isaac. Isaac's the child of promise, not him. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to go to this place, and I want you to offer him to me. I've received news that punched me in the gut. I'm sure you have too. But never the screeching halt that I would would imagine was here. Now here's the tough part of the text. One of the tough parts in the text for me, it's again that white space that's hard for me, is nothing in the passage gives us any description of the emotional status of Abraham upon hearing the news. Nothing. Doesn't tell us anything doesn't say, and Abraham was deeply moved within his heart when he heard this. It doesn't say, Abraham was strong in faith when he heard this. It doesn't say, Abraham put his fist through the wall when he heard this. It doesn't say, Abraham was angry at God when he heard this. Nothing. And so I'm, I'm, 
I, it's hard for me because I know how Dan would respond, but Dan's not Abraham. I don't realize or understand the emotional status of this man upon hearing this command from the living God. I just know as a dad, I'm going, what? Are, are you kidding? If there was ever a time where you would anticipate a patriarch in the Old Testament to say, God, are you sure you know what you just said? This would be one of those times. Which is why I'm convinced God very specifically told him the way he did. If you're going to break news to somebody, any kind of news, you want to do it clearly you want to use specifics, and you want to use language that you know will communicate fast what you're trying to get out. So God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one whom you love, and I want you to offer him to me. Abraham, do you understand what I just asked of you? And I won't go into detail. Just remember, guys, when, when a... When a Sacrifice was offered. It was not just a burnt sacrifice. There was a letting go of the blood. There was a cutting up. There was all this kind of stuff that was done with an animal before it was sacrificed before the Lord. So when Abraham hears offer before the Lord, he's aware of what's involved. This must have stunned him. But I don't know. The text doesn't say Once again, he's called to go and wait for God to show him the place. Remember, he said, follow me, go to a land that I'll show you, and I'll let you know when you get there. Same thing he does here. Take your son, I want you to go to a la- in the land of Moriah, and when you get there, on that certain mountain, I'll tell you what that place is. This place will be very significant in the unfolding of history. Solomon will build his temple on Mount Moriah, where many, many sacrifices will be Laid, and I'm not going to go in, or made, and I'm not going to go into that right now because, again, there's a, a pointing to Christ there. We'll get to that in weeks to come. So here's the punch. You ready? This is this is what's so heavy on my heart this morning. I want to communicate to you. Obedience without clear understanding, or obedience in the dark. Obedience without full understanding of what's going on. I don't know about you, but this is probably because I had three older brothers when one of my brothers would say, hey, come in here, I have something to show you. I want to know more before I go into that room. When God says, I want you to go do this, how many, beloved, think about this, how many questions can you off the top of your head right now think that you would pose to God about what he just asked you to do? Beginning with, what? (laughs) So think about this with me. Here's some circumstances, okay? Follow with me. These are all good, logical circumstances that could get me talked out of obedience in this, in this event. Number one, he's a promised child. This child is a promise from the living God. God promised that I would have him, and now I have him, and now you're going to have me do this. That doesn't make any sense. God's word against God's word. I'm not going to take his life. Number two, all that went into the very existence of this kid. The miracle pregnancy, the miracle birth, how long it took to come to the birth of this child. 
see the future promises found in Isaac. Oh, God, you said you would, you would bless every family through me, through Isaac. This miracle child of Sarah and I, God, don't you remember, remember all the promises you told me. You told me, Lord, that this was going to be coming through this young man. So don't you see, Father, I can't do what you've asked me to do. The witness of God's power to all those that have seen the birth of this child and the growing of this child. And then lastly, and this is more fleshly, but Abraham's natural fatherly instinct to protect his own son. I don't know about you, but that comes pretty easily. If one of my kids is in danger, whoever's putting them in danger is in danger. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, I have such a natural instinct. Now, I have, mine's about half compared to my wife's instinct of protecting our kids. And that, <laughs> and that natural instinct of, I could never, ever do harm to him. No, God. No. As I think about those reasons, if anybody were to come and tell me those were their reasons for not walking in obedience, I'd have a tough time telling them, you're wrong in this. This makes no sense, God, at all. You're not making any sense to me. You've asked me to do something that I know is going to ruin me. It's going to do great damage to my marriage. It's going to do great damage to your name, to people who see what's happening. God, don't you realize you've asked me to do something that is just is, is so confusing. And God, I've got a pile, a mountain of circumstances that tell me this is insanity. What could cause a man to walk against all of these reasons? God's word backed by God's character. God's word backed by God's character. And here's what's amazing about the passage. This is, we're going to look at this, like I said, for a five-part series, and I will tell you the portion of this chapter that gives me the greatest stumbling block in my study is nothing written about Abraham struggling with this. Why did God leave that out? I don't know. I have a really tough time thinking that there wasn't a struggle, a wrestling match here. I realize he's strong in his faith, but this is such an incredible undertaking that he's been commanded to do. And please notice, beloved, not requested not, this would be good if you did it. God says, you do this. You take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and you offer him to me. If you look at, look at your Bibles, I am amazed at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I... I do not know, but I will tell you, I, ha- I would be absolutely blown away if that man slept that night. He got up early because he wasn't, in my opinion, he got up early because he never went to bed. You ever been there at 3 a.m.? Something's on your mind, something's on your heart, it just will not leave you alone. 
All you hear is the clock ticking and your dog snoring. It's It's what pugs do, I guess. And it's just you and God. Man, I tell you, I, I don't know how that guy, I'm sure he did wrestle with the Lord a little bit through that night. But the text tells us he rose early in the morning. Remember, he's a very wealthy guy with lots of servants. He probably doesn't saddle his own donkey, but the text says he saddled it. text says he cut the wood. Why? Because I don't know about you, but when I need to burn some stress, I need a job. I need something physical to go do. So what's he do? He wakes up very early, saddles his donkey, firewood gets ready, calls two young men, calls Isaac, and says, we're going. And as we know from later in the chapter, he doesn't inform Isaac what's going on here. But it's between him and God. He rose and went to the task Because God's word, backed by his character, was enough for him to say, yes, I will do it. With all of the yeah buts, all of the what about this, what if this happens, what what about all these circumstances, don't you realize what people will say? I understand all of that, but God said it, his character's perfect, and I can trust him. How do you know? Look at all of the years I've walked with him. I don't dare blow it now. I want to be with him. I want to walk with him. He's commanded this. He doesn't want anything held from him. So I'll do it. The text is shockingly quiet regarding Abraham's emotional status throughout all of this. Not even a hint in the text as to what's going on in the mind and heart of this man. So let me land the plane here for today, and we'll pick up verse 4 in two weeks. Beloved, there are times when our God calls us to walk in obedience, and he doesn't give us all the explanation why. Without having a full understanding of all that is involved and how it's all going to come about, God says, you my dear, my dear child, you're on a need-to-know basis, and guess what? You don't need to know. Obey. Follow me. Walk in obedience. So here's the main truth I want to pull out of this text this morning and hand to you. A true knowledge of our God fuels our obedience regardless of perceived circumstances that may appear to contradict our action. One more time. A true knowledge of our God fuels our obedience. Not because it makes sense. No, 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 no. If my obedience is fueled because I know the one who commanded it, regardless of perceived circumstances that may appear to contradict my action. You ever walked in obedience to the Lord and you have a neighbor, a friend, family member say, I don't know what you were thinking doing that. What a waste of time and money and energy. I can obey God without knowing all the facts. Because I can trust him. And I have every reason to trust him. 
Dan, can you show me anywhere in the Bible where people acted without knowing? Walked in obedience without having a full grasp of the facts? Of course I can all day long. So can you. Daniel didn't cease to pray. No, throw me in the lion's den. But you might die. Yeah, I know. But I'm not going to stop praying. I'm going to walk in obedience. I realize all the circumstances look like, you know, self-preservation and all that. But no, I'm going to continue to pray. You can throw me in there with the lions. One of my personal favorites. Hey, Noah, what? I need you to go build a boat in the desert. How long is it going to take? A long time. People are going to mock you. They're going to slander you. And eventually, it's just going to be you and your family in this huge boat with all these animals. Uh, Lord, that makes no sense. Not right now. But trust me. Trust me. David, I know he's big. (laughs) But have you noticed, beloved, I love that passage because David doesn't show up and go, dude, he shows up. And all he knows is, my God's got this. You're puny, I know. Here, try on Saul's armor. It's a joke. I don't need that. Why? Because Goliath's fighting God, not David. Every bit of circumstance says, run. And he goes, no, not a chance. I'm going to walk in faith. Why? Because I can trust God completely. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know God can save us. But even if he does it, we will not bow to this image. And lastly, this one is the one that I just, oh, it's amazing to me. Do you realize Jonah fled away from God because he knew God's character so well that he knew the Lord was going to allow repentance to the people of Nineveh? Remember that? Go back in the text and basically Jonah says, I knew you were faithful. I knew you were forgiving. I knew you were going to give them repentance. So I fled, because I hate those guys. And I didn't want to see it. He acted based on his faith in God's character. May we grow in our knowledge and our trust in the great God we serve, because, beloved, God may, he just may bring something into your life that even you do not fully grasp why he's put that before you. Let alone all the people around you. Let alone your family, your parents, your kids, your grandkids going, I don't know why you're doing this. This doesn't make any sense. And you know deep in your heart, this is biblical, this is true, and this is what God's called me to do. And finally, and then I'll pray, I promise. Is there anything you are not willing to lay before the Lord? This is where my heart was so pierced, because if Abraham quickly says, yes, I'll give you my son, On such a smaller scale, what might we have that we aren't willing to lay before the Lord and say, Father, it's all yours. You take it. To be continued, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and the preservation that you showed in this man, Abraham.
Father, I pray that as we, as we search the Scriptures, as we seek to grasp an understanding of our God, oh Lord, our obedience would not come slowly, but we'd be quick to say, yes, I'm in. Father, thank you for this church family, and thank you for the years and years and years of faithfulness you have shown us as a people here. Father, next week we wish to turn back to you and express our gratitude for your sustaining grace of this little local church on the coast that I love so much, Father. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your Son who has made all this even a possibility. In his name, amen.